Well, here we are at the end of the Gospel of Luke. Finally, we began back in May of 2021. So we've been in Luke for quite some time, and we've learned a lot about Jesus, a lot about the Gospel. Hopefully, we've grown in our faith and uh, enjoyed just the riches of being in the Gospel of Luke together. Our title for the whole series was The Gospel According to Luke, Salvation Now for All the World, and that's what we've been learning about. Luke presents Jesus to us as one who's preparing his disciples to go on mission and to preach the gospel that he came proclaiming. Luke also presents the church, that is us, as a fellowship of believers who gather for worship and prayer and also are united together in mission. And so, in conjunction with his second volume, Luke actually wrote another book called the Book of Acts. He's commending the preaching of the gospel to the whole world. And that's obviously an interest of ours here at Calvary EV Free. We want to see the purposes of Jesus as he announced them in Luke 19. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. That we want to see those purposes fulfilled as we proclaim the gospel throughout the world. We want to be a more worshipful and prayerful and missionary people. And these are things that the gospel of Luke has taught us. We desire to be filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit in this new age of worldwide salvation And that's what we've learned about as well. We want to be more faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. So please turn in your Bibles to the end of the Gospel of Luke, or you can follow along as I've printed it for you in your bulletin. The final section begins, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Well, here at the end of Luke, Luke would have us be empowered for the Lord's commission by considering the whole plan of God in Christ, and by having received the promised Holy Spirit. So in summing up his gospel account, there are three scenes that we are introduced to here this morning. In verses 36 to 43, Jesus' resurrection appearance to his closest disciples. And then in verses 44 to 49, his commission that he gives as part of God's salvation plan. And then in verses 50 to 53, his ascension and our joyful worship and witness. So the risen Jesus made many appearances, actually, 
during the 40 days after his resurrection before his ascension into glory. And we know of a few that are mentioned in Scripture, actually quite a lot of them. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to the women as a group. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus that we looked at last week. He appeared to the disciples without Thomas present, which is actually the section we're looking at today. He appeared then to the disciples that included Thomas in the group. He appeared to a group in Galilee. He appeared to over 500 believers at once. He appeared to some disciples at the sea, as it's recorded in John 21. He appeared to James, and he appeared at many other times to the apostles, and then he ascended into glory. And there are so many ways to organize and understand all of these appearances and when they took place. Of course, it's way beyond the scope of what we're doing here this morning, but we want to focus here today specifically on Luke's intention, that we be empowered for the ministry that we've been given of the Great Commission. So the first scene is where Jesus' resurrection, in his resurrection, he appears to his closest disciples. He greets them in verses 36 to 37, and then he gives two proofs to them that he has indeed physically resurrected. One is his hands and feet, and the second is eating something in front of them. And so the passage begins, as they were talking to one another about these things, Jesus himself stood amongst them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened because they thought they saw a spirit. So likely it's still Sunday, the resurrection day, although it would be in the middle of the night because remember the two disciples from Emmaus rushed back to meet with the disciples or it could be early morning the next day. So we have the 11, we have the Emmaus 2 and some other disciples. They're all telling resurrection stories, if you remember, and talking about the scriptures that even Jesus himself had taught the two on the road to Emmaus. Remember their joy. If you just look back briefly in Luke 24, starting in verse 33, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with him gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Peter. And they told, they told, then they told him what happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they're talking about all of these things very excitedly, and then Jesus appears in their midst and says, peace to you. Words of comfort, words of promise, but they're startled with fear, thinking they're seeing a ghost. And we're surprised because we're led to believe at this point from the storyline that they would just be overjoyed to actually see this Jesus resurrected that they've been talking about. But they weren't necessarily expecting any other appearances at this point. And we're wondering what's going on. And so they're they're doubting with their eyes, and they're, and they're filled with fear at the moment, and so he provides two proofs to them that indeed it is him. First, his hands and his feet. 38 to 40 says, and he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So notice that Jesus first challenges them regarding their fear and their doubts. They should be recognizing him for who he is and and believe and understand, especially because when you think about it, I mean, this is perfect timing for Jesus to show up. They're sitting around talking excitedly about the resurrection 
who he appeared to whom, when he appeared to different people, and the scriptures that spoke about who he was. And then he appears. Perfect timing by Jesus. And they're discussing all these things. And then he invites them to look at his hands, to look at his feet. Why? Because he still bears the nail marks from his crucifixion. He even tells them to touch him and believe. He's the very same Jesus. He has flesh and bones. He's not a disembodied spirit. That's not the type of resurrection we're talking about. This is a real resurrection of the body. And they don't move. If he's paralyzed, and you notice in the text, he has to move in closer and get them to see the marks themselves. And then his second proof is that he eats something in front of them, and while they're disbelieving for joy, what a nice way to put it, disbelieving for joy, and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, fish and he took it, and he ate it before them. So they're not fully believing yet. It's like when we say things like, I can't believe it's really true. And so we have both things going on in our heads at the same time. And perhaps even some of us this morning are in that situation. Is this really a true story? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? I encourage you to keep listening and listen to the evidence that's presented to you. And so Jesus asks them for something to eat. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it in front of them. So they're not seeing a ghost. They're not having some kind of a hallucination. This really is the very same Jesus who has risen bodily and is eating in front of them. Now, one of the most important points that we gain from this passage of Scripture, where Jesus appears to his closest disciples, is that Jesus still bears the marks of his crucifixion. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, it says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. You see, it's a badge of honor, eternal honor for Jesus Christ, that he is the Redeemer King. And it will remind us forever as we worship him in heavenly glory for who he is and who we are in him. And we might wonder if it's not the same for people that go through martyrdom and torture for Jesus Christ and are persecuted, that their marks in their bodies will be a part of their resurrection glory as well, to give glory and praise and honor forever to Jesus Christ, their Savior. So we look forward to that resurrection day because we're going to be raised in the same likeness. The scriptures say, just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, speaking of Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, speaking of Jesus. We too will be raised like Jesus. But now we turn into our passage to the main part where Jesus gives his commission. And in this section, it's not clear whether starting in verse 44, that we're still at that scene where they're just seeing Jesus, or if now we're jumping ahead to something much closer to his ascension, which is what most scholars believe, because here now we're talking about the great commission that he gave his disciples. And maybe even it's a summary of his teaching for those 40 days. And so it begins then with this eternal design of blessing being fulfilled in verses 44 and 45, where he says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You see, God fulfills his purposes that he has revealed in scripture. And Jesus here is asserting that he is the main subject of all of the Bible, of all of the Old Testament, right? He's the main subject. He's the end of it. He's the focus of the history of redemption. And this is the age of fulfillment. And he gives this threefold division, common division of the Old Testament scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, which was the main part of the, key part of the writings section. And he, we would have to actually go through each section to see Jesus in every single passage for ourselves. The Bible holds together as one story. It's one story about his Messiah. It's all about prophecy and pattern in the Old Testament, speaking of Jesus Christ. And so it says that he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. That reminds us of the story we just read about it on the road to Emmaus, where he had to open their minds to understand what he was talking about. And we think about during these 40 days, or maybe in this meeting with his disciples, he even had more time than he did with the, road, the two on the road to Emmaus, and certainly he did over 40 days, and would have taught them things about himself from passages like Genesis 3.15 at the very beginning of the Bible, about the seed who would come. Or we think about Genesis 12 and the promise to Abraham and the blessing that would come to all the peoples of the world, or how that's about Jesus. Or Genesis 22, maybe, and the sacrifice of Isaac that gets interrupted for a substitute, and how that's the gospel proclaimed. About the Passover and the Exodus and how all of that speaks about redemption from sin, and he's the one who would finally bring it, and bring it in power and in truth. Maybe he talked about the Sinai covenant, and how, yes, we all need a mediator, but the only true mediator with God is Jesus Christ, the eternal Son himself. Maybe he talked extensively about the sacrifices and the priesthood, and how they all spoke about him, and even in Deuteronomy 18, where there's a promise of another prophet to come much mightier than Moses that they should listen to. Perhaps he spoke about the suffering Messiah from Isaiah 53 and the new covenant from Jeremiah 31 and the need to be born again from Ezekiel 36. Maybe he spoke about the whole history of redemption starting with David and the kingship and the exile and the restoration and how that promised a new covenant that would actually accomplish purposes for which it was given. Maybe he talked to them about specific psalms like Psalm 2 or Psalm 16 or 22 or 45 or 69 or 110, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, or Psalm 118. They go on and on and talk about the psalms, talk about the sonship, about the messiahship, about the kingdom, about suffering, about glory, and perhaps he even explained to them his most favorite designation of himself was to call himself the Son of Man. And so he explained to them in detail Daniel chapter 7. Now there's likely a whole lot more that we can only guess at, but you know it's also true as we think about, oh, I wish I could have been there to hear what he said. Well, you know what? You probably have more than you realize in your hands. Because those apostles wrote the New Testament. And the New Testament is filled with quotations and allusions all throughout the Old Testament about Jesus Christ and how they're fulfilled in him. Those are the things that he would have taught them 
that they have written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us. And that's why it's so important, and I know many of you do this, that when you read the New Testament and you know it's referencing the Old or your editors in your Bible tell you this is a quotation from a certain section in the Old Testament, how important it is to go back and read that section and to understand what's going on there and why it's quoted and how it's fulfilled. Because the experts are the apostles, and they taught us how to read the Scriptures. And people do need their minds opened, as it says here, to understand the Scriptures, even to believe in God to begin with. As it says in Acts 16 about Lydia, it said the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. God has to be the one that opens our minds. And then as Christians, we come to the Scriptures, and as, as probably as most of our habits, before we even read the Scriptures, we spend time in prayer asking that God would open our minds because it's the Spirit that gives understanding. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. That's why. That's one of the blessings of having the Holy Spirit dwell within us as God's people, is that we can understand the scriptures that he wrote through the apostles. Well, then the time has come, we read, that the blessings be preached, that all of these things that we just talked about would be proclaimed. And so the scriptures say in verse 46, and he said to them, thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. In this section, the time for salvation has come. The gospel has been preached and is to be believed. And it's a very simple message. You can fill it out, but the core of it is that Jesus is the Christ, the one who suffered and the one who rose again. That's the basic information. And the basic information gets explained more and more. Jesus' crucifixion was indeed prophesied in the scriptures. In Isaiah 53, for example, it says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And that's what took place on the cross. The resurrection was likewise predicted in Psalm 16. When it says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And this is quoted by the Apostle Peter and told that it speaks of Jesus. That's the basic content that the Apostles preached. They preached Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified and risen. And of course, they elaborated much on that. But you notice also that something else is predicted. Jesus says that the scriptures spoke that he would suffer and that he would rise and that the gospel would be preached. That the gospel would be preached as part of prophecy fulfillment. So not only was it written that Jesus would be our redeemer, but it's written that this would be proclaimed to all the people groups, all the nations of the world, and that too must be fulfilled. As we read this morning from Isaiah 49... Verse 6, it says, It's too small of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations 
so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's the prophesied goal. That's God's plan. That's his purpose with the gospel. And there are many, many more passages in the Old Testament even about the inclusion of the peoples of the world in the promise of salvation. It even goes back to the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12, where it says, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, the commission emphasis is a little bit different in each gospel. So if you look at the end of each of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see the commission to proclaim the gospel given in different forms and in different emphases. The emphasis in Luke is really clear. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's the emphasis. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what is the proclaimed along with the gospel to the world about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then, if you want forgiveness of sin, based on that, you need to repent. And repentance is the changing and turning of one's whole mind, heart, and being about God, about Jesus, about sin, about salvation, about everything about who you are. Do you need your sins forgiven? Then the scriptures are pretty clear. In Acts 17, it says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men everywhere that they should repent. Maybe you need to remember that your sins are forgiven in Christ. Forgiveness is the result of repenting in faith in God through Jesus Christ and his cross and his resurrection. We're not talking about a general repentance. Oh, I'm so sorry. We're talking about repentance based upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross and in his resurrection because that's where forgiveness comes from. It comes from God himself. It doesn't come from ourselves or from other people. It comes from God. The gospel is proclaimed in his name, it says. When it says in his name, that means in regards to him to his cross and his resurrection. When we proclaim the gospel and the church proclaims the gospel in the world, what we are proclaiming is Jesus' death and resurrection. We're not spending an inordinate amount of time saying we're proclaiming the gospel but then talking about how great we are. We're not proclaiming the gospel if we speak about Jesus' cross and resurrection but then we dilute it with just all of the great benefits that you can get from God or preach our traditions, or preach a bunch of silliness that's out there, people who say they proclaim the gospel. It focuses entirely upon Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Apostle Paul says, I determined to know nothing but him and him crucified. That's it. His glory, his power, that's all it's about. And he himself came into the world preaching that gospel, and that's the gospel we proclaim. He died and rose in Jerusalem, and from there the gospel has gone forth into all the world. And the church has been commissioned with the same spirit of power that we read about in verses 48 and 49. So speaking to them specifically, he says, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. The apostles, you see, were direct historical witnesses to the fulfillment of the scriptures. They saw all of it take place. They saw with their own eyes the sufferings of Jesus. 
They saw with their own eyes the resurrection of our Lord Christ. And their role was to testify to everything that they saw in their preaching and in the writing of Scripture. The Apostle Peter, when he was preaching to Cornelius, for example, and Cornelius' relatives and friends in Caesarea, he speaks about the unique role that the apostles have and only the apostles have. There are no more apostles. God raised up for him on the third day, and he granted that he should become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And then the Lord Jesus, after his ascension, would send the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, upon these men. And it was predicted, of course, in the Old Testament as part of a much bigger promise of the new covenant that would unfold in the New Testament times and in our lifetime for us. The day of power is the day of Pentecost that the prophet Joel prophesied about and the apostle Peter preached on. It was the day of God beginning a new work, a new blessing. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit would become one that would be much more powerful and tangible of regenerating people, of transforming their lives, of illuminating their minds so they can understand, of indwelling God's people and empowering them with great power for ministry. To be clothed with power, as Jesus says here to them, means that they would be covered with it, that they would be wearing it, that they would be totally transformed by it. And if you read the book of Acts, you will see that that is exactly what took place. But Jesus' great commission here is given as part of God's salvation plan. And that is often missed or overlooked for some reason among us as Christians. We think that it's not somehow part of the prediction. But we ourselves are living examples of a prophecy fulfilled of the gospel being proclaimed and of being proclaimers of that very same gospel. That's the point of the spirit of the passage of Luke 24, of the empowered testimony of the church. He is telling us that we too are commissioned to testify, to testify to the testimony of God by the apostles, to preach the gospel to people, to use the scriptures, the Old and the New Testaments. We too would receive power from the Holy Spirit as a gift that would be given to the whole church. And so we are empowered as we consider the whole plan of God and we see our role in it, our place in it, and then knowing that we have been empowered and given the Holy Spirit of God. Well, then the final scene is Jesus' ascension and our joyful worship and witness. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So near Bethany on the eastern slopes of Mount Volos, Jesus as a priest blesses his disciples. And while he's blessing them, he's carried up into heaven. This is a setup for the book of Acts. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to the beginning of the book of Acts. Because Luke is only done telling half the story at this point, you're going to have to read the rest on your own. 
But there's much more about the Ascension Day that he then records in Acts chapter 1, beginning at the very beginning in verse 1. His same audience says, in the first book, that's Luke, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go up into heaven. So I really encourage you as to read the book of Acts as your own application to the whole book of Luke. And then comes the response. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. And Luke focuses our attention here on the response of worshiping Jesus. He's the Son of God. They truly believe this now. Do you? They returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and it should remind us of the very beginning of the book. You remember how the shepherds in chapter 2, over the angels and the baby, returned with great joy? It's the same language. Jerusalem would be the beginning place of Christianity and worship and witness. And they were in the temple then, blessing God, blessing this Christ who blesses them. And again, the story picks up again in the book of Acts, volume 2. So this is what it's like to become a Christian. It's to be filled with joy. Overflowing with blessing of worship to God and witness to to Jesus, to the world. That's what it's like being a Christian. This is here the conclusion, then, of the life of Jesus and his ministry. And the story continues with the launching of the book of Acts. But hopefully we've been reinvigorated in our own study of the gospel of Luke to understand who Jesus Christ is and basically what the gospel is at its core, which is preaching the identity of Jesus, as the Son of God and Son of Man, and of His cross and of His resurrection. And then, calling people to repent for the forgiveness of their sins. This is the outline. And of course, you can fill it in with so many other details from Scripture any way you want. And details from your own experience. And details as the Holy Spirit guides you in your proclamation. We are empowered for the Lord's commission by considering the whole plan of God in Christ. So keep considering that. 
that we are in the age. This is the thing that is happening in the world today. This is what's going on in the history of redemption. And to keep relying upon the Holy Spirit as we proclaim the gospel. God is blessing the nations and the peoples of the world for salvation right now. Verse 47 is what it's all about. So do not be distracted. That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So let's continue to do it. It's exactly what the church is supposed to be doing. So Luke, in his gospel account, if you turn way back to the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, this is how he started. He said, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, O most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Hopefully, that is what we have. That's been the purpose of preaching through the Gospel of Luke, is to give you certainty in what you believe. That's why Luke wrote the book. That's why I've preached the book. That's why we've come to listen to it, is to gain certainty concerning these things which the apostles have taught us. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord God, we thank you for this Gospel of Luke, this Holy Scripture written by you, Holy Spirit. We pray that you would give us a growing certainty within our souls of the gospel, of its truth, of its power, of our own responsibility to live it and to proclaim it to others. We thank you that we live in this time of history of fulfillment of prophecy where the gospel now is going forth to the very, very ends of the earth. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of that, and we pray that you would keep our minds clearly focused on what is to be our main focus, and that is you, Lord Jesus, our Savior, the one crucified and risen from the dead. Amen.